the India-Pakistan War of 1971, heroic tales of the Bangladesh Mukti Sangram, birth of a nation, original concept, retired Major General Nitin Gadkari, writers, Sheetal Karandikar, Kshitija Bhatt, voice, Sheetal Karandikar, Shruti Inamdar, Sagar Naik, and Colonel Sanjeev Shenoy. Music, Amit Patil. Digital Publisher and Recording Studio, Jhankar Studio, Pune. Heroic Tales of the Bangladesh Mukti Sangram, Birth of a Nation. Part 1, Background of the War. Hello everyone. I am a Bengali man from Bangladesh. Uh, no, no, please don't misunderstand me for an intruder. After working in the Bangladesh Embassy, I have been living in Pune for 25 years. Yes, I am a Punekar. I am not here to introduce myself. I have something to share for generations to come. 50 years have passed since we became independent. We had to fight for our freedom. None of us will ever forget the rock-solid support that India has been to us. We have paid an extremely hefty price for this war. I have seen the 1971 war up close. People who have not seen the war cannot imagine the struggle we and India has been through. Today the memories of this gruesome war are haunting me and I feel like reciting the story of your country and mine. The story that got disgrace to humanity. The story of the atrocities being perpetrated and the people who have risen up against it. This is the story of people who struggled in this situation and yet went unnoticed. The story of an undeterred tolerant friendship, of the determined leadership, of the intricacies of international politics. This is the story of impeccable planning, the army's infinite might and their heroic tales. Curiosity is piqued, isn't it? You may have wondered, why was a war needed for the freedom of Bangladesh? Why do we have to fight to be? So here goes the story. January 1, 1969 It was a new day, new year and beginning of a new era in Pakistan. The beginning of a new power. The power of the country now was in the hands of General Yahya Khan. This was something to dread about. Nothing to rejoice about. East Pakistan kept facing a lot of injustice from West Pakistan. A new name got added to the list of tyrants. Yahya Khan invoked martial law in Pakistan as soon as he came to power. Finally, the citizens got the right to vote. That was the end of the principle of parity. Was that a beginning of better times? Not really. Another incident got East Pakistan on its knees. The tropical cyclone Bola devastated the entire region and killed over half a million people. People needed aid to get over this catastrophe. But neither Yahya Khan nor any other leader of Pakistan came forward with aid. 
left with no other alternative. The Bangla people started helping each other out of the calamity. The election results were announced on 7th of December. The Awami League triumphed in East Pakistan by winning 167 out of 169 seats. While Pakistan People's Party in the West won 83 out of 144 seats. It was clear that Sheikh Mujibur Rahman will become the Prime Minister of Undivided Pakistan. However, history made a different mention of this incident. West Pakistan could not bear the thought of being led by Sheikh Mujibur Rahman, a Bengali. They thus opposed him with all their might. The elections have complicated things further. I agree, Janab. This has become a problem. Absolutely. Now, will these Eastern Bengalis rule over us? <laughs> it is easy to handle the people of East. However, the real problem are the statesmen of the West. To top it all is Mr. Bhutto's obsession for power. If he does not become the Prime Minister, he will create a havoc. We cannot ignore his pursuit. Legend goes that the men from the Bhutto clan do not see the ripe age. No wonder Mr. Bhutto is growing more desperate for power with each passing day and not cooperating at all. Hmm. It is in the best interest of Pakistan to keep these two harmonious. What can be done to achieve this? Anyway, why waste this evening over such talks? Let us all enjoy the scotch. I raise toast to undivided Pakistan. Cheers! <laughs> East Pakistan had no idea about the intentions of Yahya Khan and West Pakistan. Weeks had passed since the election results were out. However, no succeeding formalities were completed. Sheikh Mujib exactly knew what that meant. His patience had hit the bottom and he called for an ostensible meeting at the Dhaka race course. It was the seventh day of March 1971. Over one million people from across East Pakistan attended this meeting and the race course was flooded with people. UNESCO has enlisted this speech of Sheikh Mujib. He conversed candidly with his Bengali brothers and sisters. My dear brothers, I have come before you today with a heavy heart. All of you know how hard we have tried. As you know, I have been in contact with President Yahya Khan as leader of the majority part in the National Assembly. I asked him to set February 15th as the day for its opening session. He did not accede to the request I made as leader of the majority party. Instead, he went along with the delay requested by the minority leader, Mr. Bhutto, and announced that the assembly would be convened on 3rd of March. We accepted that 
agreed to join the deliberations. I even went to the extent of saying that we, despite our majority, would still listen to any sound ideas from the minority, even if it were a lone voice. I committed myself to the support of anything to boister the restoration of a constitutional government. But I made it clear that we would not agree to any deviation from the demands. That right rested with the people. Come, I said, let us sit down and resolve matters. If we can peacefully settle our differences, there is still hope that we can coexist as brothers. Otherwise, there is no hope. If you choose the other path, we may never come face to face with one another again. For now, I have just one thing to ask of you. Give up any thoughts of enslaving this country under military rule again. I asked my people to immediately set up committees under the leadership of the Awami League to carry on our struggle in every neighborhood village, union, and subdivision of this land. You must prepare yourselves now with what little you have for the struggle ahead. Since we have shed blood, we will shed more. But inshallah, we will bring freedom to the people of this land. The struggle this time is for emancipation. The struggle this time is for independence. Joy Bangla! Joy Bangla! This one word from Mujibur Rahman was enough for the Bangla people. They were determined and then there was no looking back. The non-cooperation started from the next day. People stopped paying taxes to the government. The government offices were shut down. They started addressing their country as Bangladesh instead of East Pakistan. Omar Shonar Bangla It was not going to be a cakewalk. West Pakistan already had two conspiracies running. On one hand, Mr. Bhutto sent one of his loyal men with a message for Mr. Sheikh Mujibur Rahman. You become the Prime Minister if you wish. However, extend your support for me to become the President. And on the other hand, he, that is Mr. Bhutto, was conspiring alongside Yahya Khan to get the Awami League on their knees. Little did he know that Yahya Khan had a bigger plan. Yahya Khan was the epitome of betrayal. In response to Mujibur Rahman's speech, he announced that democracy was on the cards and at the same time gave the administration of East Pakistan to a fierce general Tikka Khan. Yahya Khan advised Tikka Khan that a traitor like Sheikh Mujibur Rahman should never come to power and the unity of East and West Pakistan cannot be compromised even at the cost of thousands of Bangla lives. What else could possibly happen after such clear instructions? Yahya Khan arrived in Dhaka on the 15th of March for negotiations with Sheikh Mujib. 
even Zulfikar Ali Bhutto arrived there on the 21st of March. The discussions were never ending, but they could not arrive at any solution. The Awami League was hoping that at least by the 24th of March, the discussions would bring some consensus. But no luck. The real game had now started. Yahya Khan and Mr. Bhutto left Dhaka on the sly without concluding the negotiations. Negotiations were nothing but a measly excuse. As directed by Yahya Khan and under the leadership of General Tikka Khan, Operation Searchlight started on the night of the 25th of March 1971. Pakistan announced to the world that Operation Searchlight is to search and hunt for traitors within the country. But only few knew what the real intention behind this operation was. In the darkness of the night, Sheikh Mujibur Rahman was arrested and taken to the Lahore jail. But before this happened, the Bangla brothers had announced the independence of Bangladesh over the radio on the 26th of March. On the same day at Kalurghat, close to Chittagong, where Major Zia-ur-Rahman, who was fighting against the Pakistani army, also announced an independent Bangladesh in the name of Sheikh Mujibur Rahman. There is still a political debate about who announced independent Bangladesh first. All the sudden events created a lot of turmoil. Not all knew that Sheikh Mujibur Rahman was arrested. Finally, Pakistan started the genocide. What Pakistan did after that is comparable to the Nazi tyranny. Pakistan called it a jihad under the pretext of searching and eliminating traitors. The first place where the hell broke loose was the Dhaka University. Professors, students, whoever was seen was shot dead. The Pakistani army then moved to the students' hostel where they tortured the students all night and then killed them all. Over 3,000 scholars and students were killed on the 26th of March. The Pakistani army undertook this massacre and along with them were the Razakars, the members of the Jamaat-e-Islami. Then started their favourite game of hunting down the Hindus. Following the Nazi modus operandi, they started marking the Hindu homes with an H in bold, so that the Hindus could easily be identified and could literally be slaughtered. Slaughter? Or should we call it genocide? A genocide from which the Hindus and Bengali Muslims suffered alike. Over one million people were killed by the Pakistani army in Bangladesh. Thousands of Bengali women raped. The Pakistani army was let loose at the Bengali people like a ferocious wild animal is unleashed. Soon, Tikka Khan earned the title of Butcher of Bengal. He was the demon that gave every Bangladeshi the anger that led to war. Chittagong or Chittagran is one of the prime cities of East Pakistan. It lies on the border shared with India and Myanmar. This is where the Awami League started their radio centre and called it Swadhin Bongla Betar Kendra. Chittagong is also a big port on which Pakistan's cargo ship MV SWAT was ported with an inventory full of weapons. The Bengalis were asked to unload the ships. 
saying that it was carrying food supplies they called for non cooperation and refused to unload the ship it was essential for the pakistani army to get their hands on these weapons and getting hold of all the awami league leaders since the first day the pakistani army was killing the bengali militia however taking control of the city was not an easy task the bengalis were creating as many obstacles as possible in the way of the pakistani army their tactic was guerrilla actions the bengali militia fought with great valor with the pakistani army the battle was getting difficult even for the pakistanis they had put all their strength to work army navy air force and even the commandos seeing the might of the pakistani army the bangladeshi army stepped back the pakistani army thought they had triumphed and destroyed all the bengali radio centers in rejoice however this happiness was short lived the bangladeshis had only taken a step back so that they could charge with more strength bangladesh had asked help from india and few other allies they continued to fight the pakistani army and even arrested few of their soldiers this battle was a humble start to a revolution mukti bahini was formed on 25th of april 1971 which wrote the history of bangladesh india played a vital role in the freedom struggle of bangladesh india was thoroughly invested and the espionage agency raw had spread its network keeping new delhi informed about every event the sadness of the events had spilled over in india in form of refugees the 26th march genocide caught new delhi's attention Prime Minister Indira Gandhi spoke about it in the Lok Sabha on the 27th of March. Do not misunderstand this to be Pakistan's internal matter. The violence in East Pakistan is a big conspiracy. The people there are facing atrocities. India not taking a stand will be a blunder. The kind of blunder that Europe committed in the Second World War and the results are known by all of us. Today I call out to all the nations of the world who are believers of humanity and human rights to stand united against this injustice and create political pressure on Pakistan. I also pledge that India will only use military power against Pakistan if they falter first. Without further ado, India's border security force BSF opened the border for the Bengali refugees. The Bengali refugees started flocking into India in huge numbers. Amidst them also were the leaders of the Awami League. Tajuddin Ahmed was one such important leader of the league. This was the 30th of March. The divisional head of BSF Golok Mujumdar and Rustam ji were mediating between these leaders and the Indian government. the number of refugees entering india was increasing by the day it was a huge economic strain on india to provide food and facilities to such a large migrant population as a result issues around food medical facilities and population started arising in the states 
of West Bengal, Assam, Tripura and Meghalaya. By the end of March of 1971, the migrants had crossed the 100,000 mark. However, even in such a dire situation, the opposition leaders like Atal Bihari Vajpayee and Jayaprakash Narayan extended their support to the government. I am thankful for the support the opposition leaders have extended. The situation in East Pakistan has now become a challenge for us. We, being the neighbouring country, are deeply concerned about the violence that Pakistan has invoked on East Pakistan. Under the pretext of hunting down traitors, Pakistan is killing innocent people. Young girls are being mistreated. These people have to leave their own houses and escape. I strongly condemn Pakistan government for this. Now, the people of East Pakistan are coming to our country. We will help them under humanitarian grounds. However, this situation is deeply affecting our country. Hence, I am warning Pakistan government on behalf of India to stop this bloodshed. Her firm directions made no difference to Pakistan and the atrocities continued. India decided to support the leaders of the Awami League to form an interim government for Bangladesh in Kolkata. They formed the government but had no army. The leader of the Awami League and the head of East Bengal Regiment, Colonel M.A.J. Usmani, took the initiative to form the army. The Awami League consisted of three groups, Mujib Bahini, Kadar Bahini and Himayat Bahini. Muna Singh was another communist leader. His followers were a part of the Awami League too. Colonel Usmani was the Bongo Beer of Bangladesh. He was the founder of the Bangladeshi military. Along with him were 11 other commandos who fought in different regiments of the East Pakistani army and now had come together to form the Mukti Bahini. In East Pakistan, the Operation Searchlight had completed one phase by 10th of April. AAK Niazi replaced Tikka Khan on the 11th of April. He asked for two more army divisions to control the situation in East Pakistan. And without any delay, the army divisions reached Dhaka on the 15th of April. Niazi too became an immortal name in the history of Bangladesh, just like Tikka Khan. But that is a story for later. Let us take a look at what the exiled government was doing. The government was almost formed and preparations for the oath ceremony were in full swing. It was the 17th day of April. The place was Baberpura, district Kushtia, a place on the West Bengal border. The first oath ceremony of Bangladesh government was performed under the presidency of Tajuddin Ahmed. This government had their head office in Kolkata as there was a constant fear of the Pakistani army attacking them. The Bangladeshi doctors, students, scholars, lawyers started coming forward in groups after the government was formed. With tremendous anger in their hearts for Pakistan, they wanted revenge. They were not well equipped for another war. All they had was extreme agitation 
and little combat experience. Did I not say this was an extraordinary story of great complexity? So many unanswered questions. What were all the humanitarian countries doing to help this catastrophe? Was the West even aware of the situation? People of the Bangladeshi origin in London had started getting together. On the 24th of March, they formed the Bangladesh Action Committee in Coventry. This committee invoked awareness about the situation in the Western world. Meanwhile, in India, the number of Bangladeshi refugees had gone up to 3.5 million people. India was having a tough time making provisions for these people. The Prime Minister of Exiled Bangladesh, Tajuddin Ahmed, was hoping for more help from the Indian Prime Minister, Mrs. Gandhi. On the 28th of March, Prime Minister Gandhi received a telegram from the Chief Minister of Assam regarding the growing number of Bengali refugees. She called the army headquarters and requested to see the army chief general, Sam Manekshaw, an extremely distinguished and dignified officer. The incident of the meeting between Prime Minister Gandhi and General Manekshaw was very dramatic. Good morning, Madam Prime Minister. Good morning, Chief. Are you aware about the reason of our meeting today? No, Madam. The Chief Minister of Assam has sent a telegram discussing the growing number of Bangladeshi refugees and the problems arising from that. What are you doing about this matter? Sorry, Madam Prime Minister. What have I to do with this matter? Is there nothing that you can do about this? What is it that you are hinting at, Madam Prime Minister? I would like your intervention in this matter. That is calling for war. Then war it shall be. Sorry, Madam. You may be prepared for a war, but I am not. Do you think we can call for war whenever you want? Let me explain the situation to you. It is the end of April and the monsoons will soon start. The rivers of East Pakistan swell up in the monsoon and the other end of the river is not visible from one end. If we take any action, chances are that I shall get stuck midway. Air Force will not be able to rescue and Pakistani army can easily defeat me. This is just one part. Secondly, one of my tank formations is in Babina, while the other in Secunderabad. If I have to summon the soldiers, I will have to utilize every jeep, truck, roadways, railways for the moment. It is the harvest season. Farmers will not be able to take their crop to the market. This can create a food shortage in a few states. And you will be blamed for that, Mr. Agriculture Minister. Tank division is my strongest weapon. However, I have only 12 operational tanks right now. Just 12? And why so? Sir, you are the Finance Minister and have been requesting grant from you for new tanks. However, you have been stating fund shortage. What can I do in this situation? These are my problems that I am outing forth you again. Madam Prime Minister, if you still want me to proceed, then I guarantee you our failure. Now it is your call. I will wait for your orders. Sam, whatever you told us a little while ago, is that true? 
Yes, madam. Frankly speaking, it is my duty to fight and it is my responsibility to win. The question is, am I fit to fight at the moment? The answer is no, not at all. I don't feel there is enough preparation for war on the internal or the international front. At least I do not feel so. I know what you want, but let me do it when I feel it is the right time to do so. If you do, I can guarantee you 100% that I shall win. But for that, I need to tell you one thing very clearly, that I am willing to work under anyone, be it the BSF, CRPF or even you. I shall never feel demeaned about that. But it is very important that I am directed by a single commander only. The orders must come from one place only. After that, there should be no interference by anyone, whomsoever, in my work. Now you can take a call. Okay, done. No one will interfere in your work. You will be in command. Hmm. This was how the General of India was. The only Indian field marshal till date. I am proud of the fact that I could actually witness this period. How lucky was I? It is really amazing how you land upon treasure, especially during challenging times. It was the year 1971 that the world witnessed the best and exceptional capacity of Mrs. Indira Gandhi as a Prime Minister. Truly speaking, I would have loved to speak about this right away. But a sound reflection of the future will be seen only if we keep track of the time and take a peep into the past while we are in the present. So, while taking a peep into what happened in 1971, we must proceed with a gradual pace of time, mustn't we? On the other hand, what was the Mukti Bahini doing at that time? A short distance before Chittagong, on the banks of the Bay of Bengal, there is a village called Barisal. The people of Mukti Bahini were protecting that village. They began to harass the Pakistani army by cutting off electrical wires, setting up hurdles on pathways, trapping people carrying messages to and fro to the army, etc. The day was 25th of April. The Pakistan government sought help of their naval team in order to oust the Mukti Bahini people from Barisal. The moment their spies brought the news that the Mukti Bahini people were at Barisal, they made a straight attack on the village. The Mukti Bahini people could not fight back the sudden and massive attack made by the fuming naval ships and the army. They tried to resist the attack to some extent, but could not really sustain for too long. By 1st of May, they were completely ousted from Barisal by the Pakistani army. Mukti Bahini had faced failure at other places such as Ramgarh, Feni, Komila, Chandgaji, etc. These places were lying adjacent to the Tripura border, to the north of Chittagong. The Pakistani army took charge of these places. All this went on from 26th of April to 16th of June. Now, the border adjoining Tripura was under the control of Pakistan. In addition to that, their hold over Chittagong had tightened even more strongly. 
Mukti Bahini's protest at these places turned out to be completely futile. By the mid of June, Pakistan had ousted these people totally. This included seven battalions of East Bengal. These had almost 13,000 people. Pakistan was sure that they had been able to block any further possible efforts of attack from the Mukti Bahini. Once again, they had stepped back and many of them had returned to India. This regression of the Mukti Bahini was going to prove to be as decisive as the regression of Dunkirk during World War II. It had now started to rain. For a few days thereafter, the lead of the army calmed down. Those of the Mukti Bahini people who had stayed back kept up their protest to the best of their capacity. But they were not getting the desired success. The Pakistani soldiers and volunteers were going to have a good chance to run their oppression wildly for a few more months. The Mukti Bahini had undoubtedly faced defeat from the Pakistani army. However, they had certainly learned a lesson from this. It is not possible to win all battles with just the will to win. They felt the need to get themselves systematically trained for warfare. India too could not afford the regression. The BSF had secretly helped them so far. But that was not enough. The Eastern Command realized this and took the reins in its own hands. This was the beginning of an army operation. Eastern Command headquarters started systematically training the Mukti Bahini. The entire training was designed, keeping in mind that at the end, all of them were going to fight a battle in the swamps and water-bound areas of Bengal. They would be made to run in swampy and water-filled regions every day. They began practice in shooting. They were being taught the skills of operating different weapons effectively. They were also being taught how to use anything and everything around them as a weapon, if need be. The Mukti Bahini people never once complained while they were being trained to learn and rehearse manifold ways of how to keep themselves completely energized even if they are caught up in the midst of the jungle without any food and water for days together. How to attack the enemy while keeping oneself in hiding. How and when to recede at a secure spot. How to communicate with each other secretively. It was a fact that these were the skills that were eventually going to prove useful for them in the future. Major General Omkar Singh was in charge of imparting this entire training. Apart from this, they decided to set up a naval wing from the K-force of the Mukti Bahini. Imparting this training was a major objective of this massive operation of the Indian Army. As of now, this was just one milestone that was being crossed. The impact of this was to be seen in the future. In the meantime, the movements of the Pakistani army had slowed down in the midst of heavy and continual rains. Their endeavours still continued, although slowly. One day, they would attack Jinjira. Another day, Gopalpur. Yet another day, it would be Chuknagar. The list of massacres continued to increase. What was increasing along with this was the number of people who were leaving these places. The government of Bangladesh was in India 
and so obviously they were all coming here into india their population rose up to 1 crore one analysis states that the entering of these refugees cost a burden of 500 crore rupees for the indian treasury the waters of the meghna began to throttle india now then on the way in which the indian prime minister handled the situation was exemplary in her impressive and strong speech she gave pakistan a firm and direct message without any negativity or pessimism in her tone she gave a clear warning to pakistan in blunt words the internal matters of pakistan are proving to be disastrous not only for the people of bangladesh but now also to india we are now facing losses on the political social economic and defense fronts we had warned you earlier too but there has been no action from your end we will have to take strict measures before the situation goes out of control now keep in mind that you shall solely be responsible for anything that happens thereof this was the last and ultimate warning that india had given to pakistan whilst the two were sharing somewhat peaceful relations here on whenever the two nations would meet it would only be on the battlefield let us now take a glance at the complicated international politics involved in all this one will find the seeds of the strong and diplomatic leadership qualities of the indians here itself the communist nations of the soviet union and china had drifted away from each other taking advantage of the situation america tried to pull china towards itself discussions between the mediators of pakistan and china began in july these discussions didn't really go too far the major impact of this however was that the ties between their enemy nations that is india and soviet union began to strengthen and they started becoming friend nations india in the long run was to benefit from this the british on the other hand had started showing great interest in the affairs of bengal the professors of bangladesh committee oxford university had triggered this the americans too had started making a note of these incidents telegrams sent by their officer archer blood news published by the journalists of the new york times had all started making an impact washington post on 30th july in its daily flashed a headline holocaust unmatched since hitler the article continued to make a mention of this human massacre the article spoke about how this mission of the punjabi army officers of pakistan was almost a mission towards the extinction of the entire bengali clan these unnerving descriptions of such monstrous acts actually influenced the ordinary americans in a way that they began to incline towards the bengalis in fact on 1st of august there was a joint stage performance by pandit ravi shankar and george harrison from the beatles band in new york with an intention of creating public awareness about the bengali refugees and for raising support for them public awareness had certainly begun to generate 
But the US government neither supported India on this issue nor did they openly oppose the acts of the government of Pakistan. Against this backdrop, the only ray of hope that Mrs. Indira Gandhi could see was in the form of the Soviet Union. It had come closer on account of US antagonism towards India. In the first week of August, Mrs. Indira Gandhi, with her envoy, made a visit to Moscow for two days. Soviet Union, too, was in need of support from India in order to stand against the US. As a result, a friendship treaty was signed between India and the Soviet Union on 9th of August in Kremlin. This treaty was signed by the foreign ministers of both the countries. Sardar Swarna Singh and Andre Gromiko. India stood strong with such a firm support. America and their associate nations were shocked to hear about this. Pakistan too, which was showing strong aggression because of the support of these nations, went into a state of sudden shock. The real threat of this treaty, however, was to be witnessed by them later during the Indo-Pak war. Operation Jackpot This operation had begun much earlier. This was just a step further in the operation now. A few commandos of the Mukti Bahini were sent to Bangladesh. Yes, these once common people had now become commandos. They formed teams amongst themselves. They had to reach the ports of Chittagong, Mongla, Chandpur, and fight the Pakistani army and the Pakistani navy. On the midnight of 15th of August, they blasted three ships at Chittagong and thereafter Chandpur, Mongla, Narayanganj. Six ships in just that one month of August. These commandos used to literally swim across the waters in the middle of the night, plant bombs at the base of the ships and set the timer. They would then bring about the blast. Once back at the shore, they would simply vanish in the air. It seemed almost as if the guerrilla tactics of Chhatrapati Shivaji Maharaj were rushing through their brain and blood. The Pakistani army was flustered and frustrated by the Mukti Bahini. It had begun to get more help from India. Since a war with Pakistan was inevitably on the cards, Indian Army decided to employ these trained personnel of the Mukti Bahini to fight against Pakistan. India had landed upon a jackpot in the form of the refugees. However, there was no selfish motive behind rendering help. Planning was extremely essential at every stage of this operation. They had extensively invested their military power, efforts, time, money and much more. They were managing numerous fronts at the same time. There was nothing left undone. India gave every bit of military support to the Bengali refugees. They requested small-scale manufacturers to produce small military weapons. They provided these to the Mukti Bahini time and again. Not only that, they gave them supplies from their own military stocks too. By September 71, 
As rains receded slightly, the guerrilla tactics of the Muktibahini began to surface once again. They would make secret attacks on sensitive spots of the enemy camps. They would trigger chaos amongst the people there. They would damage their properties as much as they could. And despite all this, they would not get caught by the enemy. They would return safe and sound. They began to create trouble at Silhet, Komila and Maimain Singh. They began to destroy all the railway bridges, bridges across the rivers, ships, stocks of diesel and petrol, etc. The Pakistani army paid a heavy price bearing this. But Mukti Bahini relentlessly continued at its pace. Trains carrying Pakistani soldiers started being attacked. Hundreds of soldiers travelling by trains were targeted. All the railroads leading to the north of Dhaka were blocked. All this resulted in an extreme slowdown of their military movements. The Pakistani military was extremely angered by now and they began making multiple mistakes in this state of rage. Many more battalions of the Pakistani army came in from the west and they began to spread across many places in the east. They began to be staggered in this manner. What if they did not get timely help from the Navy and the Air Force? Then this army, which was spread far across, would be trapped in this region. This would make it difficult for them owing to the many rivers, which would be impossible for them to cross. While at one end, the Mukti Bahini continued to fight, at the other end, in the month of September, the head of the Soviet Union sent an invitation to Mrs. Indira Gandhi and she left for yet another tour of Moscow. In the two days of her visit, between 27th and 29th of September, she received a warm welcome at Moscow. During this tour, Mrs. Indira Gandhi stated India's stand very clearly and effectively before the press there. She made it very clear that there was no intention of disturbing the peace in South Asia and the peaceful relations that the Soviet Union had with the South Asia. She stated that in fact India would love to help the Soviet Union to further strengthen their bonds. By the time this was done, she was already set with her next plan. What was her plan? It was necessary to take care of international politics while the preparation for war was quite evident. It was with this purpose that Mrs. Indira Gandhi left for a foreign tour. She intended to put India's stand clearly before the media of those nations. In the period of 24th of October to 14th of November, she visited no less than 21 countries. To begin with, she went to Belgium. Before she reached Belgium, she took a quick halt at Beirut. Then, from 24th to 25th of November, for two days, she went to Belgium. From there, then to Austria, England, America, France, West Germany. Of the western part of the world, all these nations were confidantes of America. While on this tour, she highlighted the terrible conditions in East Pakistan, how India was being adversely affected by this and the stand that India had taken on this issue. She was sure that none of them would extend any help towards solving the problem of the refugees taking resort in India and do anything about it. 
but it was worse to see that not one of them showed even some amount of sympathy this was the incidence which reflected her strength of self respect on 4th of november she reached america to meet president richard nixon during this meeting she requested the american head to stop giving any aid to pakistan president nixon responded to her simply by saying this problem has now become a global one in other words he wished to suggest her that it is better if you don't intervene in this matter mrs indira gandhi however caught his intention and replied it is one part of the globe itself which is facing a severe problem and i have come here to show everyone the clear and real picture of that part of the globe the second example is that of berlin the german politicos there said that the stand that india was taking in this matter was in fact contradictory to their principle of non violence it is like interfering in the internal affairs of another nation it was there and then that mrs indira gandhi gave them a curt reply then when hitler was doing the same with the jews with france and belgium were you in support of him if you had heard us out in the first place things would have not gone so far the opposition party leaders in india were working hand in hand with the government a good example of this is as that jay prakash narayan of the bjp also went from nation to nation and spoke about the atrocities happening in bangladesh lal krishna advani of the janasangh and balraj madhok also protested before the american consulate against the anti indian policies however since these people were not in power it did not make much of a difference on the other side the members of the indian foreign ministry also took the problem of the refugees to the international level opposition party leaders such as ted kennedy were also visiting the refugee camps yet the power holders at the white house were acting as if completely detached in a way america was supporting this total destruction of the lineage of east pakistan america was well aware of the situation there telegrams from the ambassador archer blood had been reaching the white house ever since april these were telegrams vividly describing the terrible conditions there the horrific reality they were almost telegrams in blood yet despite all this the white house had no sympathy for india they had not forgotten that come what may pandit jawaharlal nehru and mrs indira gandhi were both inclined towards the soviet union and that is the main reason why they genuinely despised the two of them at the most they showed willingness to arrange for flights for the american refugees apart from this exception all european nations in favor of america kept themselves detached from this issue they didn't take the slightest of efforts to even print a simple circular to protest about the happenings willy brandt of germany published a circular exhibiting protest he however refused to help india france refused to comment saying this is an internal matter of pakistan china in fact complained that india was playing a game of expansion and an idol of mrs indira gandhi was set in flames in beijing 
the gulf states had already declared their support to pakistan libya and saudi arabia sent across some planes to help pakistan muammar gaddafi of libya had sent a letter to mrs indira gandhi condemning india iran not only supported pakistan but also helped them in the war sri lanka opened its airports for pakistani airplanes israel however took its own initiative and secretly helped india with oil and weapons apart from a few exceptions almost all nations were against india it was clear now that india would have to fight this war on its own while the prime minister was on this tour of foreign nations pakistan played its game on 29th of october their 25 pounder guns made a bomb attack on the agartala airport although we didn't suffer much loss in this attack one thing was clear and that was that the airport had come within the range of attack approximately at the same time pakistan also attacked the western frontier a similar bombarding of guns and cannons was done in the uri region near jammu the alert indian soldiers retaliated with equal force thankfully there was no loss of human life here too the series of skirmish had begun the indian military and the mukti bahini soldiers started preparations in anticipation of the situation instead of fighting the battle on both the fronts all by itself the east bengal battalion of mukti bahini was divided into three parts in view of the further attacks these three parts were the z force k force and s force these groups were led by major ziaur rahman major khalid musharraf and major k m shafiullah apart from this there were independent naval and air force battalions too the indian army had transformed the ships in the kolkata port into battleships and had provided them for attack they had also given submarines the naval regiment had been given extra responsibility in this aqua region the air force had the responsibility of two helicopters and one dakota plane that could land on water there were 45 pieces of the artillery mukti bahini was a well equipped and completely independent defense unit with all these these soldiers were going to fight the pakistani military across 11 divisions of bangladesh lieutenant general jagjit singh arora chief of the indian eastern command was the anchor of this plan listen to this name carefully this name was soon going to be famous the preparations were done now everyone was ready the war between the pakistani army and the bangladeshi army triggered off the bengali army was using all its possible resources in the battle now on one hand there were the trained soldiers of the mukti bahini and on the other hand there were the local people inflicting minor attacks the pakistani army was caught badly between the two of these battles the most popular ones were those that were fought at kamalpur boira and garippur at about the same time on the indian side of the border war started at heli 
This village is situated near the West Bengal border. The war that began on 22nd November continued for many days. No other war ever fought had tested the soldiers as much as this war of Hili did. There were immense losses incurred in this war. The expanse of this war is really very vast and it will take long to describe it. Do you remember the war of Burai mentioned some time ago? There was something unique that happened in this war. The Pakistani Air Force was protecting the Pakistani artillery on their request. On 24th of November, however, a few of these airplanes crossed the Indian border near Jaisor. The Indian radar immediately tapped the movement. But these planes instantly retraced their way back into Pakistan. After this happened thrice, a team of four Indian planes set off from an airport which was 100 kilometers away to block these planes. They were flying at a low height in order to avoid entering the range of the radar. Factually speaking, these NAT types of airplanes were much lighter and inconvenient as compared to the Sabrejet airplanes of Pakistan. They perfectly spotted these planes and ensured in an air battle. After a long fight, the Indian planes managed to shoot down four Pakistani planes. The Indian planes returned safe and sound, without any loss. This defeat of the Sabrejet planes by the lightweight Indian Nat planes is remembered as a miracle in the history of air battles. Such miracles of battles continued. Although the battles were on, the actual war had not begun. But that day dawned too. The date was 3rd of December. In the evening of 3rd of December, Pakistan attacked the Indian airports. These attacks on nine airbases of the military took place in three phases, from 5.40 in the evening to 10.30 at night. The Indian Air Force team was already alert. There wasn't much destruction in these air attacks. The runway was damaged slightly and the electrical supply at one place was disrupted for around 6 hours. That was all. The Indian planes on the ground were safe. They did not suffer any damage. They had been moved to a safer place well in advance. Pakistan's naked aggression was replied to by India as it declared a war on Pakistan on 3rd December 1971. The war had begun now. The happenings in Bangladesh had almost reached the final stages. This was going to be the last war of one complete Pakistan. The struggle began on both the fronts. This war is a golden page in the history of India and Bangladesh. In the words of Churchill, that was a finest hour. 1971, our finest hour. However, the story doesn't end here. There is much more coming up in the episodes to follow. So, stay tuned.